0: hello and welcome to episode 118 of the building sustainability podcast my name is jeffrey hart and every fortnight join me as i talk to designers builders makers dreamers and doers together we can explore the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things And today's wonderful person is Adrian Lehman from the roundwood timber framing company Holwoods. You might remember Adrian from way back in episode number nine. That episode was actually the second I ever recorded all those years ago. I first met Adrian as part of my placements with the Prince's Foundation Building Craft Apprenticeship. I'd seen Adrian's work online and I'd seen him on TV as part of Kevin MacLeod's Handmade House. There's a link to Adrian's work and The Handmade House in the show notes. Adrian was kind enough to let me come along and help him build a roundhouse frame in which he was testing a new method. More on that later. That frame has now been kitted out to be a very lovely social space at the Woodyard where Adrian and a few other lovely folk work. Fittingly, that roundhouse is where we recorded this episode and the topic of the conversation, roundhouses before we get into the episode i've got a little bit of news first of all the phoenix project in lewis we have talked about that with various people fantastic news the project has been granted permission it is happening as i say various guests have spoken about this incredibly ambitious project we're so pleased it's going ahead natural building at scale walkable developments really positive uh expansion of, of lewis uh yeah congratulations to everyone Who's been involved? I know it's been an incredibly long and difficult journey. Uh, can't wait to see how it goes. There are some events coming up. On the 5th to the 7th of March, there is Future Build in London. Seeing the lineup of speakers this year has made me realize that the construction industry is really progressing. The things which were fringe in that event, uh, maybe even sort of four or five years ago, are now center stage. Uh, It's so great to see how this is progressing. It's given me a lot of hope for how rapidly the, uh, the construction industry can change. So head along to that if you can. Uh, there is also the ASBP the Alliance for Sustainable Building Products their Healthy Building Conference and Expo 2024 that is on Thursday the 29th of February this is all 2024 uh again in London uh, I am very pleased that I happen to be in London with a spare day that day so I will be going um so come and say hello if you're there and the reason I'm going to be in London I'm helping to do some setup Uh, for the Collect Fair, uh, which is a Crafts Council event from the 1st to the 3rd of March at Somerset House in London. Yeah, it's a a little bit out of my world, definitely being more on the art side, uh, but I'm excited to see craft, uh, the sort of far reaches of craft uh, compared to the the little woodland craft uh, that is my my corner of that world. Uh, So that is from the 1st to the 3rd of March in London. Okay, uh, patrons... This month, gigantic thanks go to Graham Durrant and Christopher Darnell, both of which became supporters of the podcast at the upper tier, meaning I shall be carving them a spoon to eat their breakfast with. Also, Sam Goats, not content with being a guest on this podcast, as well as a patron, has upgraded to the spoon level. I'm not sure this is how it's supposed to work, Sam, but thank you so much. And of course, Graham and Christopher too. If you would like to join them and get a shout out on this podcast by supporting the podcast, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. In return for your support, you'll get advert free listening, bonus content and whole episodes that you won't get anywhere else. You also get 10% off all craft courses at the Nettlecombe Craft School. And of course, your very own shout out, just like Sam, Graham and Christopher. Show notes, make sure you check out show notes from this episode. Uh, Follow up on any of the bits we've talked about. If you get a chance, please share this episode, especially if you found it useful, funny, inspiring, or any other reason. It's all gratefully received, and I do see a massive boost in listenership when people share. Okay, so this episode, there's a couple of mentions early on of build camps. Uh, These are events which Adrian runs to create structures, uh, usually for sort of educational facilities, sort of two-week events where everyone lives together, builds together, cooks together. Uh, Very, very lovely things. If you can get on one of those, then do. Um, What else to say? Oh, yes, there is a little bit of campfire crackle. Uh, We were sat around a lovely fire in a roundhouse. So you'll hear that in the background. There's also uh, a little bit early on, uh, background chatting uh, from Rosie and b who were uh, were sat around a separate fire at the woodyard you might hear that a little bit in the background at the beginning but otherwise probably not and at the end of the second episode you'll start to hear fireworks because this was recorded right about fireworks night As I've just mentioned, this is the first of two parts. It's one long conversation about roundhouses, really digging into the details and the possibilities of this form of building. Uh, We start with a lighthearted exploration of the legacy we're both leaving. uh, And then we chat about roundhouses in general. And then we start building a roundhouse verbally uh, to go through the details, give you some hints and tips. Uh, Maybe inspire you to build your own. The second part of this episode will flow straight on and takes you through roof types, wall infills, floors and some really beautiful general building advice from Adrian. If you are listening right through, then you'll be able to skip to around about the one minute mark and that will cut through all of the intros and you can get straight on into the action. This episode and the following one do contain some swears. And a fair amount of giggles. Okay, that's it from me. Enjoy Adrian Lehman.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: been pondering the getting old and legacy type things sort of have not really thought about this as being one i just think about buildings
3: well it comes to the point in everyone's life where they look back and reflect on what their contributions are and despite all my best efforts to make those contributions really grand amazing things actually now i realize my contribution is savory porridge <laughs> that's my main outstanding contribution that like other people decide what your contribution is right yeah savory porridge is apparently it
0: wow um uh, do you want to let us in on the the secret this um, is this is prime podcast
3: material, prime <laughs> podcast material. well it's, it's just very tiny non-dramatic uh contribution to humanity but um i realized that it was my primary contribution when after posting what i thought was lots of informa- interesting information about building on some various social media platforms i find that most people replied to uh pictures of my recent savory porridge adventure <laughs> i got like 10 times the right that's the one that response. really got the traction yeah and so it's become a important part of build camp and courses and social gatherings and all sorts and Mm. What did I have this morning? I had Kedgeri, Kedgeri porridge with chilli.
0: Yeah. There's spicy. That's a, I've had savoury porridge with spicy and that blew my mind.
3: Yeah. Great way to start the day.
0: Yeah. Great way to start a podcast. Yeah.
3: Adrian Lehman. Oh yes, I remember him. He was (laughs) was in Savoury Porridge Guy.
0: (laughs) The Savoury Porridge (laughs) Guy. Find out about Adrian the (laughs) Savoury Porridge (laughs) Guy. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so we are here to talk about roundhouses Oh, not porridge Oh, oh, sorry, wrong one <laughs> Yeah I mean, if that's what you want to talk about
3: Yeah, I think that's what we're going to do
0: Yeah, what's interesting about roundhouses?
3: Ooh. <coughs> Hard question first, eh? Yeah In at the deep end um, Yeah, well, we, we live in a, a very square, box-like world uh, in the west particularly, in a built environment. So when I first came across, oh hang on, oh, oh it could be round, mm. <laughs> I was like whoa radical, okay. Um, and 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 then building wise, I actually got really into initially, and still am today, into building round houses on educational sites that are often used with kids' work. And I think they're really inspiring places to learn and to be because right away uh, the venue already starts to question the uh, regimented narrative of normal mainstream life of, like, we have to live in squares and right angles and boxes. Mm. And so straight off, it's like there's a creativity in the space, really important
0: do you think it, I mean, there's King Arthur and the round table. The round was really important mm. because of hierarchy or yeah, you know, flat a thing,
3: hierarchy.
0: Isn't it? And, uh, like a, I think of my time at school in my square, the square buildings. It was mm. very much teacher at the front. For sure. So to, to flip that on its head and go round,
3: mm.
0: it's changing things in a sort of subtle but not insignificant way.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, it's it's, um, it's an inclusive, as you say, it's an inclusive non-hierarchical space. Obviously, someone can turn up and choose to dominate that space anyway, but the invitation is that everyone has an equal seat around the mm. that, um That is, again, yes, yeah, really powerful uh, change to the way that we normally see things or normally the roles that we normally slot into. Yeah. Yeah, really, really cool.
0: Do you... Remember your first, the your first experience of a roundhouse.
3: I do actually. Um, Adrian's looking
0: wistfully into the distance.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, hang on. Uh, uh, I think I've got my memories confused. Actually, I, well, I'm going to still tell the story that I first thought of because I first thought of it. But I don't know if it stands up to truth, but that's always less important. Yeah, it was at Tony Wrench's. A deconstruction camp mm. where he decided that he was going to demolish the roundhouse that was receiving that, that he and Jane lived in that was receiving a lot of pressure from planners and it must have been like I'm going to say there was a hundred people there there was a lot wow. of people there and it was quite sort of theatrical in the early part of it because of the people trying to stop him demolishing it
0: Oh, right. There was a sort of
3: battle going on. It's sort of in a theatrical kind of who done it way. Yeah. Um, But there was also in the evening a a sharing circle uh, with a lot of people and it went round a couple of times. So interestingly, that was my first uh, experience of really being in a roundhouse in a kind of homely, convivial sort of way of an evening. And also one of my first, yeah, one of my early experiences of... Of being together in that circular way of of having a sharing and uh, people speaking from the heart about uh, where they're at and how they felt about what was happening and reflecting on their lives a bit. So, yeah, double whammy. Really, really nice. Mm. Really nice experience.
0: And what drew you to being there?
3: That was a time in my life where I was just everywhere and I was constantly out learning from people, volunteering on things, going on courses living out on the road and yeah um yeah so that was if there was something interesting going on i was there Fucking shot <laughs> <laughs>
0: and a roundhouse coming down that was
3: yeah no i mean that doesn't happen often right no. So it's like oh 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 one's <laughs> coming down right
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then it didn't so oh, did it not no
0: is that still the one uh beside brithdeer
3: yeah
0: uh-huh, i've been there
3: uh-huh.
0: yeah i'm looking to go back there
3: soon uh-huh. actually there you go. Yeah, if it's still there
0: if tony will help me Hmm. And then I mean there's there's sort of different forms of roundhouse. Cause I know there is the sort of Iron Age roundhouse, which uh it's a thatch sort of steeper roof thing. Hmm. Have you have you built one of those?
3: An Iron Age one. Um No, I haven't. I've built um what was equivalent in a way to a blackhouse, a hmm. recreated blackhouse. Um which, in a lot of ways, is very similar, uh-huh. other than the fact that it's not round. Yeah. You know, a lot of the other aspects are very similar. It's, it's funny, actually, that I've I've been building roundhouses for 20 years, and I, I, I don't know, I've built, whatever, 30 of them or something. I don't think I've ever built two the same. Right. But I have not yet. I say yet. I have not yet <laughs> built an Iron Age one. Um so, yeah, still things out there undiscovered, for me at least, you know, yeah. Yeah. Nice.
0: So, uh, we've sort of skipped ahead a little bit, but we're, we're talking about roundhouses. What, what do you want to create with this podcast, mm. with this chat?
3: Oh, yeah. I would like this to be, I guess, it's a first, first stopping point for people to be able to uh, get a handle on some of the different aspects of, of this style of building, and be able to start thinking about uh different types of approach to building them if they've got a project in mind or on the horizon or in some at some point in their life you know just to Mm -hmm. start uh making some plans about what they might do or what approach might suit them everything is you know depends on on uh what what suits the person there is no right way as such mm-hmm. and so a bit of information a bit of uh, insight into the process and uh, a few kind of professional shortcuts maybe that uh, would be useful a couple of things to avoid um, some stuff about design but really to give to give people uh, a way in to start uh, thinking about it. it, it 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 is we can't replace a course as such because at the end of the day you've got to practically get stuck in somewhere with, with someone and, and start having a go. And so mm. doing some volunteering or doing a course is I would say essential. Uh reading a book is also useful. But hearing hearing people who've as both of us have got really good experience of building roundhouses, so, so hearing people talk through some of the options I think is really, really valuable. Mm-hmm. Great.
0: This style of roundhouse, would have would would you would you characterise this in any particular way?
3: In in any genre? Hmm. Um. Yes. Well, I suppose this would fall into broadly speaking the timber framed roundhouse genre, where the main structural support in the walls is is timber based, Mm -hmm. Um, and then any infill is is around that, and then I suppose otherwise uh, it's a reciprocal roof. That's also almost becomes synonymous with roundhouse now. Yes. Which of course is not necessary, but I suppose that in itself is a genre, isn't it? Reciprocal roofed roundhouse. Um, the Iron Age ones weren't like that in the UK.
0: No, no much example. steeper pitch. Yeah. All the rafters join in the middle.
3: Yeah. So yeah, this would be timber framed and reciprocal roof, which most of my roundhouses are. And, I don't know if you've built ones that aren't timber frame based
0: uh no, no everything I've done oh, yeah, is timber well. frame
3: okay so yeah we we're, we're quite timber frame based there't we <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I suppose my I've built them in sort of um they were houses they were you know sealed units mm. um that's sort of been my where I've used the the form would you say yours tend to be more classroomy or communal spaces
3: or they do tend to be I've done a couple of dwellings and pretty much other than that they've been uh, communal spaces uh, at uh, sites that are either community sites or um, educational sites yeah they've largely been for group use I don't think that any other. Yeah, I think that they fall into those two camps. The ones that I've built, pretty much all actually, they're either that or a few that have been dwellings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and some, some fully insulated, some completely open, and then a mixture of different types in between.
0: Yeah. The full. Yeah. Spectrum of closing up or not.
3: I mean, there's loads. It's incredible. Still, loads of types that I have yet to build. That I'm like, oh yes, right. <laughs> Still got to do that and this
0: and that. <laughs> Um Nice. So where might be a good good situation or where if someone's sort of considering a roundhouse, where, where do they excel? Where might not they be so good? Or is it just always everywhere?
3: Everywhere good. <coughs> I, I'm kind of going to come down on the side of everywhere good. Other than the obvious situation, if you own a bunch of square furniture and you... Mm-hmm. Really want to use that furniture and you don't want to cut the corner off a bit then um yeah it's it's good in all all situations I think their round structures are the have the smallest uh exterior surface area to volume ratio, so they consume the smallest amount of materials, and they also therefore have the smallest surface area for heat loss mm. They have the lowest possible wind profile um, for for windy locations. And they're really inspiring spaces that uh, draw people together and get people really excited about getting involved. So if you're planning a build, um, yeah, it's a great thing to build.
0: There's that moment, isn't there, when you're building one where the walls or the the sort of posts around the outside go up and everyone stands inside Mm. and there's... Yeah, the the feeling of of a circle being created is somehow incredibly powerful, and and it moves people in a way, yeah. isn't it?
3: Yeah, it does. I, I suppose there is a a downside that in some ways the modern world doesn't like them, mm. which is partly why we build them. You know, the <laughs> modern world likes you to build buildings that comply with um, flat sheet based materials yeah. that have a small number of facets and. Roundhouses are the antithesis of that, so there's a lot more angle-based work and jointing in building a house that's that's uh, that's round. And because uh, with the timber ones, they're normally round, but they actually have some number of facets. Like the walls might be, you know, ten or twelve-sided. Mm-hmm. So you you may then build a completely round wall around it, but you've got a lot of angled work in the timber work um same with the roof so yeah there's all these different facets so I'm making this answer up on the fly i guess they kind of date back to a time where materials were not industrial materials and therefore did not conform to those very rigid board-sized or sheet-sized demands and um and materials were potentially also a lot more fluid than they typically are in the mainstream today so they were either non-sheet based and or fluid materials like cob or Mm. something else or or materials where the individual strands or components of it allowed you to create curves and different different shapes quite easily
0: materials not products i think is probably the
3: yeah i've been thinking about that
0: quite a lot recently and sort of the difference between a craftsperson and a builder or a craft builder and a builder and i think the craft builder is someone that is using materials and knows how to use them in different ways, and the the builder is using products.
3: Mm, yeah, it's a nice that's, way to put it. Yeah,
0: I think that's where I'm coming to. I don't think I'm fully there, but <laughs> it's a start. That's interesting about the material. I mean, material usage though, in terms of you know, if you're going to clad the outside, for example, it's it's going to use fewer materials. To go all the way around a circle than it is to go around a square. Fascinating. The same
3: yeah, the all same the same yeah. internal yeah. area.
0: Should we kind of talk through building a roundhouse?
3: Yes. Yes.
0: Is that a good idea?
3: <laughs> I think that's a good idea.
0: It's almost like you came up with that idea and now I'm selling it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Starting ground level?
3: Yeah, let's let's go sequentially and start at the bottom up. Yeah, foundations then.
0: So what do, you, what do you, do we need to dig a big hole and fill it with concrete?
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's probably what most people will tell you. D- yes, depends very much on what type of roundhouse you are building. And actually, yeah, and you you mentioned the Iron Age thing as well, because that's, that's right there at the foundation stage, a, a very good first question if you're going to be building a timber framed roundhouse is are you going for the iron age bury the posts in the ground approach mm-hmm. or are you going to have the timber work sat on some stone above ground and, and that's a later
0: a later style
3: later development um, i'm a, I'm a firm believer in the fact that um, there's no kind of hierarchy of uh, of approaches or technological solutions that mean that more modern and sophisticated things are better. Mm-hmm. I believe that different solutions are appropriate in different circumstances to different people and although the shovel post in a whole Iron Age style approach is now seen as outmoded and for generally very good reason it does actually really work in certain situations mm-hmm. um, You know, structural engineers and architects will, for very good reason, hate this approach uh, because there's an obvious, immediate point of failure where the post touches the ground and there's that perfect medium of of of, uh, oxygen and water and organic material and and creatures uh, that are just there, gagging to eat your building. Mm -hmm. So, like a fence post, you know, that's where it will rot right there at ground level. And there's various ways you can mitigate that. The uh, bitumen sort of socks that are developed for fence posts are actually pretty good.
0: Right. Is that just sort of dipping them in bitumen? Uh,
3: no, it's actually a, um, a, a fabric impregnated with with bitumen and you heat torch it on. Oh, and It shrinks. Okay. It's called a sock. Uh, so that's pretty good. But at some point or other, the, the post is going to rot. But what it does offer you is a very fast way to build... Mm-hmm. We've got structural stability in your roundhouse straight away by virtue of putting a post in the ground. Yep. And so for a group that need to build fast with very low skill level that don't have an attachment to longevity uh, on a very tight budget with uh, a lot of people power, that actually may be a really good way to go. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that uh, is context,
0: really. Yeah.
3: So in that in that scenario, you don't need foundations as such. You're just digging a hole, shoving a post in it, backfilling the hole with rubble, tamping it down. And straight away, your building is not needing any bracing. It's completely uh, robust and rigid already. And then you just, what I call build sequentially. So from that point on, you're just adding components. Yeah. Because you've already got a structure. You don't really need to... Do much pre-calculation. You wait until it's up and then you carry on. Mm-hmm. So has its merits. If you're <clears throat> going to build the timber work above ground, which is now, of course, a much more usual way of doing things so that the timber is protected from moisture and ground contact, then yes, you're going to need some foundations. Although I've had people uh, get in touch who are, are on old landfill sites mm. and can't dig. Right. And they're like, well, so what, what are we what we're gonna do? Um, so yeah, we're not gonna have foundations. So in that scenario you have a floating building essentially, and um, and then potentially it goes up and down with the ground heave, maybe a little bit if there's if there's water freezing in the in the topsoil and I think they were able to go down six inch. I think that might have been their limit.
0: We had a an instance where we were building quite close to the coast right. and the engineer was most worried about uplift because yeah. of high winds, coastal high okay. winds. Um so yeah, the foundations were as much to mm. tie it tie the building down as it was to yeah to sort of stop it sinking, which was an interesting sort of yeah, change right. in understanding of what a foundation is doing.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the general the general approach would be get down to something solid, get below the frost line also to remove the topsoil is is, is really good because that that's a living part of the world and that is in constant flux and change and is a, not an inert place to put your building generally. So at the very least, you'd be removing that. Mm-hmm. You'd be ideally wanting to go below the frost line and you'd be wanting to get down to something solid and that may change in different situations. The last building we built here, we hit solid foundation in about a foot. Right. So that was that
0: great done don't know, really good
3: <laughs> <laughs> and then for different weights of building and different locations and different ground types and stuff there there will be different different there's different advice on on how uh, you know how beefy your mm-hmm. your uh, but but it doesn't need to be concrete that's yep. what we're saying yes hard compressed hardcore rubble whatever you've got access to perfectly good foundation the whole thing can be completely dry
0: nice if we're talking about bringing the the building out of the ground a little bit before we've got rottable timbers um how high up are these sort of foundations coming above your finished uh, like ground height Mm.
3: i do a fair amount of building in the cotswolds and um so and a lot of those areas are fairly free draining limestone brash and we will Search out really beautiful stones, ideally where possible, so that uh, the heights of those pads will vary. Mm-hmm. I, I just love a hunk of natural stone as a yeah. as a foundation top. Um, so that the, we won't really make much effort to to level those mm-hmm. uh, beyond a certain point. Not least of all because, of course, the tops of those stones aren't flat anyway. So. Within the width of a stone, you may have one to three inch uh, height difference in the, in the, across the surface. So, yeah. Um, and then we, we just take account of that in the length of the post. Uh-huh. And, and we also have usually now uh, some metal pins in the bottom of the timber work, which separates the, the timber from the stones so there's passage of air underneath the timber to keep that uh, well dry. Nice, Uh, and that also allows us to level the posts and make sure that we can hit a point of contact on the stone in different places. So yeah, so there isn't an actual height answer to the question in terms of what Mm -hmm. for us anyway. There's yeah lots of people out there doing them differently, but that's how we're currently doing them.
0: Yeah, and of course, yeah, if you're going down the sort of full house route, dwelling, then the you could do a, a brick foundation or a, you mm-hmm. know if, yeah. if there's insulation also needs to be held off the ground
3: yeah 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 that's right some people are all in in a lot of those situations i don't know what you found but in a lot of those situations people are doing a a, a, a ring foundation yes yes so it's complete ring of the uh, footprint of the building and and in some situations where it's just post based or primarily post based then there's just a foundation underneath each post. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be joined up.
0: So coming up from our foundations, we're going to put some posts in, as mentioned. Uh, what makes a, a good
3: post? What makes a good post? What makes a good post? I think of the question, what doesn't make a good post? <laughs> um, well, what about Posts are pretty easy, actually. They're, they're the easiest component, actually, because they're a fairly chunky piece of timber, generally. And I know I tend to prioritise <laughs> doing quite uh, quite chunky buildings, as I really like it. I really like that uh, the, the solidness and the weight of visually, you know, of, of the building when it's like that. And there's just something very grounding about it. So I really like large timbers. But even if they're not, the the post is quite easy because it's in any case going to be a fairly large timber, and it's it's completely in compression. So it's not really doing a lot. You're not really asking a lot of the timber mm-hmm. beyond a certain thickness. And it's almost difficult to build a roundhouse with a post that's under spec because it just looks really weird. Right. Yeah. So what wouldn't work? Yeah, there's very little that that doesn't actually work. Which is a really good answer <laughs> for a lot of <laughs> yeah. people. Um you know, because one can get too hung up on species, mm. different species. And there are certain things, obviously, to avoid. I've never tried to build out a balsa wood. I'm pretty sure that's going to be a bad idea. Yeah. And and the other things to be mindful of is like, although people will go on, and rightly so, about particular species, native species that are more durable and, and they're really brilliant for building, we prioritise those. That's true, but uh, a lot of the time on your project, unless it is... Uh, a full-blown proper legit dwelling a lot of the time you you it's it's right that you should try and use what you've got access to mm-hmm. and you don't have to go far back in time before you, all buildings were that way there was local vernacular based on what was locally available mm-hmm. and people used the timber that they had access to through having a relationship with that timber and knowing what its strengths and weaknesses were and working with that So they would know, well, is this timber durable or perishable, what are its strength properties like and what have you. And so they would either beef timbers up or scale them down or keep them further away from moisture, keep them with longer eaves on the building if they were perishable, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, one thing that I have noticed a few times with buildings that I've demolished for people is that buildings made out of perishable species that exist, that have been built in the woods really rot fast. Right. Um because that is where the insect bank is of all the creatures that want to eat your Aha. your timber. Because that's the timber of that yeah. potentially of that woodland and even if it isn't it's also a, a perishable species and you've got this massive bank of insects right there and fungus. So um so yes build out of perishable species if that's what you've got access to and that's what you really want to do but do it mindfully and uh, maybe take greater precaution to keep moisture away from it. Mm-hmm. Maybe mind be mindful of where you're building it. It's more critical in structural components of a building that, that take a load of load. You know, like rafters uh, are doing a lot of work where posts are doing very little. And mm-hmm. so you want to be more mindful of species at that point and also much more mindful of, Quantity of knots, form of timber, quality and uh, of timber in in terms of is it sound timber mm-hmm. uh, and and species again. Um, so at the other end of the spectrum is is the rafters. So where you can be like fairly chilled about what species you use as and, and what form and quality of timber you use in in the posts, the rafters at the other end of the spectrum. So yeah you've got to be really careful on on really low knot count um really small knots and to be really careful of uh species that are um radial branched mm-hmm. so there you get all the knots all in one place and that's a real point of weakness and you really do need to be prioritizing timber that's uh long grain it's pretty pretty strong so it's rafters are often quite low pitch, they're taking a lot of uh, downward force, uh, which they're trying to not bend under the weight of. So a lot more more important there. Uh, We tend to use uh, rafters, a lot of larch, a lot of Douglas fir. Um, Ash is really amazing. Uh, Timber bend strength-wise, we use a lot of chestnut. And and some of it's just to do with what can you get in what form, because the form of a rafter is really critical. Needs to be as straight as as you can manage. It needs to be, you know. And so it it dictates that you need to have found something that's that's straight grown. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to be able, yeah. You need to be able to source stuff from some situation where it's fairly straight grown.
0: And where, um, so people listening at home might not have very good sort of connections to timber of this type. Yeah, they might be used to going down a a building merchant. Yeah, they're not going to sell it no <laughs> so where what what sort of avenues could people go down to to find this
3: yeah so check out people in your area and go through your existing contacts first port of call and then track down tree surgeons they might not actually have access to that kind of timber but they'll be networked into local people who might know or might know of someone who has um check out small scale forestry operations uh yeah just just start asking around through your, through the People you know, and at some point or other, you'll get to something.
0: Would you ever use telegraph poles?
3: I never have used telegraph poles. No, I've never used telegraph poles. Um, And I'm pretty glad about that, I suppose, because they Mm. can be quite minging.
0: They are horrid.
3: Yeah, they're really horrid. Um, I understand why people do use them. I don't like to use them. They're but they've horrid. got to go somewhere, right? I mean, yeah. what are we going to do with them? That's true. Um,
0: Why are they horrid?
3: Because they're full of all that shit that is now banned. Because mm-hmm. it's fucking lethal.
0: Yeah. Toxic. Dipped in. Yeah. Toxic, horrible.
3: Yeah, and it oozes out. And you can smell it. And you smell it. You get it on your tools and on your hands and in the ground. and Yeah. Not nice. Yeah.
0: I've had someone try and offer me. They're being helpful. You build with round wood. Mm, Yeah, You must want these round poles. Uh, Yeah. So mm, thank you, but no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're coming up the building. We've got our posts. There's a, you called it a wall plate, ring beam. Ring beam. Ring beam. Let's call it a ring beam. Uh, At the top, Uh, that is holding all your posts in the correct position and providing a place for rafters to, to sit. Yep. In some instances, important aspects with that.
3: Yeah, ring beam, generally in buildings, one will naturally build buildings that where the timbers descend in size or order as you go up the building. Mm. It does often tend to be the way of things. So they're a bit smaller than uh, the posts. Yeah, well, this isn't a good example, is it? We're We're sat in a building now. I'm sorry you can't all see this. We're, we're sat in a building now <laughs> that was built first by you and I. Yeah. Funny enough. Yeah. Uh, there is a funny thing. And this was an experiment. This was something that I wanted to try. And this later got named the Okie uh <laughs> approach. I don't know if you know that. I
0: didn't know that. Okay. No.
3: Yeah. So we've used this now in quite a few buildings. So I don't teach this style on the courses because it's very complex to lay out um and easy
0: to make a mistake isn't it yes yeah, easy to us. make a
3: mistake it's very hard very hard to lay out but it also doesn't suit group work mm. because it's uh, very sort of bottleneck based you can only be working on one joint at a time so it's quite slow for a group to build them it looks great <laughs> i guess i'll describe it So as people listening can know, so the the ring beam is not sat on the top of the posts, it's uh, jointed into the side of the post fairly close to the top on the inside of one post and then on, on the outside of the next one. And then the post that that's joined to has the next ring beam on the inside, which is joined to the outside of the following one. So it kind of mirrors the reciprocating nature of the roof, which is really beautiful. And the reason for doing it in the first place actually was it doesn't need any bracing because mm. there's so much power in that joint that stops the building from moving you don't need any subsequent wind bracing or you know triangulating of the building
0: yeah the depth of that scoop that's been cut out of the post is kind of half yeah. the ring means. yeah it's,
3: it's huge yeah so it's a very powerful joint so normally what i'll teach on the courses is, is for people to uh do the half lap joints on the ring beam which then sits on top of the posts Mm -hmm. which is a great approach looks beautiful and it has a massive advantage of you can have any number of people working simultaneously uh, cutting those joints yeah and they can if you take that approach be all cut at the same time so it's a much better use of 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 people if you're assembling a group for a build Mm -hmm. which we often are and a lot of people are so yeah that'll be a, a half lap joint at the end end of each ring beam set on a post uh, we normally like to make them uh, angled to the angle of the building so that you've not got any air in the joint I don't know how well it would be possible to describe this verbally but but basically if you've got a um, uh, a 10 post roundhouse mm-hmm. um, I think the angle there is what is it 144 or something Ooh. Top of my head. Mm, might be, but in any case, you, you've divided the structure by the number of sides, and then uh, that gives you one angle in a triangle, and the other angle is that angle at the wall. And so you're cutting the back angle of your lap joint at that angle. So you've got a nicely a, a snug locating joint that, once it's pinned, is also stopping any lateral movement mm. and holding the joint together nicely. So that's, that's the one we teach people to do. Cause I think that's the most accessible.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned pins there. What do you, is that sort of big coach, coach bolt or.
3: We tend to use fairly bar. It's cheap and easy. Often people will use oak pegs there. The purpose of oak pegs isn't to take any shear load. They're not really there for that purpose. And they're fairly tiny, Component in the building, mm-hmm. they're there for locating. Uh, I've got a feeling that an inch peg will take something like a ton of shear load. I mean, it sounds like a lot, mm. but the point really is that it's a very tiny point of failure, and that's not its job in a joint to do that. If you're going to be using a, a wooden peg in a joint, the mechanics of the joint have got to be bearing the load, not the peg. Yeah. So in in the joint in in that joint in terms of the ring beam restricting outward spread of the building uh that peg would be taking all the work so we put a metal bar in um that also has the advantages for 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 the, for the same shear load it can be quite a tiny mm. uh, hole yeah and so if the if it's quite a small building or it's a scaled down project then you're removing less timber uh Uh, up against the end grain of a a green piece of wood Mm -hmm. so it has that advantage not as sexy as using an oak peg i grant you that no but there's There's metal work in a building at some point everywhere
0: yeah yeah there's a certain sort of pleasure isn't there from just knocking a wooden peg in but yeah
3: (laughs) and there's plenty of places in the building to do that and that's the right thing to do and it looks great and everyone feels good about it and stuff but for me that is not really quite the right place
0: Fair enough. So we're getting now to the roof, and probably the one of the most visually striking features um, yeah. in a roundhouse. It's yeah. the bit that everyone falls in love with, talks yep. about. It's the old reciprocal roof.
3: Yeah, it's sexy as hell, isn't it? I mean, we're in it now. Look, gazing up at it, aren't we? Yeah. And the first, and the first time people come in roundhouses, that's the the immediate response is oh, my God, like the mouth comes open, the head goes up. And like, rightly so, I mean, they are sexy bits of timberwork. Yeah. I mean, apparently, they, what is it, they date back to 12th century China and Japan, I think. Right. So apparently so. Or that's the first recorded known discovery of their use mm-hmm. from that period. As someone back then was feeling very smug about having created this amazing thing. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they defy belief, don't they? They're just... I've been building them, as I say, for 20 years, and I, yeah, I'm still amazed by them. And I, every time I put one up, I still get a little fluttering in my heart of like, oh, my God, is it going to work?
0: Maybe, maybe someone's never seen one. Uh, there'll be photos linked to in the show notes. But um, can you describe what's going on?
3: Y- yes, I, I think I can, finally, after <laughs> all these years. So, well, it's it's essentially an iris. And in terms of the nature of group-based projects, it's really kind of wonderful parallel of how we should be working together as teams and thinking of each other. But the thing about it is every every rafter is uh, leaning on the previous one. So every, every rafter is is bearing the weight of the building by supporting its neighbour. And the roof is therefore only as... Strong as the weakest person or the weakest rafter. Mm -hmm. So yeah, very similar in, in groups, isn't it? It's a good metaphor that everyone is working together on the same project. Every rafter is working together on, on the same roof. Uh, every roof is only as strong as the weakest rafter and all help to carry the load on behalf of everyone. Yeah. Um, Supporting and being supported. Yes, yeah, right. So, in terms of the mechanics of the roof, it's uh, it's it's a mind-boggling bit of geometry. It's really a very elegant, uh, it's a very elegant thing. So, they will generally build build them at quite low pitch. So, if if I'm doing a green roof one, it tends to be around thirteen degrees ish. Mm-hmm. And they've got surprisingly little outward force. It's quite astounding. We've set one up at real size on skid plates and loaded it up with an incredible amount of weight. Then the outward deflection on those rafters that aren't attached to anything, they're on a skid plate, is so tiny. Mm. And the, the way that they can absorb quite a substantial weighted roof and transfer that to downward load is really quite amazing.
0: And that's because of it being a low pitch. Higher pitch puts out more
3: Yes, more and outward and force. And it's also to do with the way that the interlocking nature of the reciprocating roof works with the load. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got a, a pitched roof with a ridge running down, then if you load that roof up, those rafters want to spread because you've basically created a hinge down the apex of the roof. Yeah. So that that hinge doesn't really exist as such in a reciprocal roof. So the, those forces are a bit more locked up in, in how the structure works. Yeah. Um, so consequently, you don't need... Uh, I mean, you still need a ring beam, but it's just not really doing the same amount of work. And you certainly wouldn't need um, any... Uh, cross bracing in the roof or or tie beam or Mm -hmm. anything as soon as you start getting above a certain pitch of course the roof stops reciprocating and you start moving towards something that's more teepee like in a sense where the rafters are just lent on each other yeah so at that point they're not really reciprocating and at that point they would need tie beams or you know the the nature of the forces change Mm -hmm. so it's quite an amazing thing actually to set one up uh, I do this quite a lot, actually, when I'm teaching. We'll step one up and we'll go through all the different positions that it's possible to achieve and and uh, and, and close the eye hole up and open it and again and change the pitch and, and move the timbers around just to see how those different uh, forces play against each other. is quite amazing.
0: Yes. And there's something about the size of the opening and the pitch. They're determined by each other, aren't
3: they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, much in the same way an iris works. I mean, that is really what what is happening. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the pitch, size of the eye hole, the number of rafters, thickness of the rafters, all these these things uh, affect the values of all the other things. Mm -hmm. So they're all uh, interdependent values.
0: Yes, we had one where uh, the structural engineer specified a timber that was much, much fatter. Yeah. And therefore changed the pitch of the roof. Yeah. yeah. Really because the, the iris was set because they wanted a certain amount of, you know, opening for light. It was a a residential. And so, yeah, that changed right at the last minute with the structural engineers.
3: Yeah.
0: Kicked up our roof to, to quite a, quite a pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it made it slightly unruly because, um, the higher the pitch, the more the, the rafters want to slide. Hmm um yeah i was i didn't i didn't want that to happen no <laughs>
3: <laughs> do you remember whether it was specified as c16 sorry this is going to be a nerdy moment now mm. do, you, do you remember whether it was specified as c16 or c24
0: must have been almost certainly c24 okay. i would have thought Hmm. I mean, that's defined, as you were saying, by the amount of knots, size mm. of
3: knots. Yeah. And the grain structure and so on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Because finding people who can actually grade timber of that size is, is not a totally straightforward no, thing sure. to do.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right.
0: Um, yeah. I forget what what we did in that, that situation. Mm. So... We've got a big hole in the roof. Well no, <laughs> mate! God, what are we going to do? I thought you had the roof covered. <laughs> uh, yeah, is that a problem?
3: It's a, it's a classic uh, opportunity. <laughs> a lot of people get in touch with me and say, uh, "You know, like a roundhouse, uh, can we keep the hole in? You know, in the middle mm. for, the, for the smoke to get out?" And in fact, I had one build where they were quite adamant: "We, we want this." They want the hole to be really massive, actually. Is can it be two and a half meters wide? Wow! And uh, yeah, they they were working with kids groups, and they they wanted to be able to see the stars through the roof and and see the clouds go over in the day and stuff. And I was like, that great, yeah, it sounds amazing. I mean, you're going to get a lot of water in there as well. And they're like, no, yeah, that's cool. That's that's why we want it. We want to still retain that sense of being outside. Um, the people that want them closed over uh there's I tell you there must be as many ways of coming up with creative ways of filling that gap as there are roundhouses in the mm. world you know it's and if you can get as far as that you can definitely come up with a way of putting a, some covering over the yeah. over the eyehole and there's there's brilliant brilliant solutions to it out there um we'll often do these lanterns as as we've got on this one um which kind of worked like a cowl. So this is, I guess, specific to um, non-insulated buildings.
0: Mm-hmm. Where there's sort of an expect- expectation of a fire.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: Place for the smoke to yeah. go.
3: So we've made an, an elaborate, attractive roundwood cowl, essentially, which actually now I say it doesn't do it justice. It's a, pretty, it's a very beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. So much more than a cowl. But <laughs> that is how it's functioning. Um,
0: sort of an open-sided cap.
3: Yeah, it's almost like an additional mini roundhouse on top of the roundhouse, mm. except that it's um, built slightly differently. But and then when when we've done, I think pretty much every time we've done an insulated one, we've gone straight over uh, the the hole at the same profile as the the roof, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously insulated in there. Yeah, some people. There's all sorts of things to do, isn't there? Some people put. Glazing there. Uh, in fact, we've built glazed sort of atrium hole covers, which have been really amazing. And we've built these timber lantern ones. Um, some people all just have a flat glazing or a slightly profiled glazing. Some of them have those uh, perspex domes. I think they look hideous. Yeah, they look like a flying saucer.
0: Mm-hmm. It just looks wrong. Yeah.
3: But you can get very low-profile ones, and they're a lot better. But the really properly round ones—they look weird, don't they?
0: Yeah, it sort of looks like a nipple.
3: I was Um, avoiding saying that, thank (laughs) you. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a, a grass roof or something on there and then there's this bit of plastic with light shining out of it. But, I mean, in terms of, I think, what it does for the light in the space, it's probably pretty good. Yeah, You know, it's whatever you hold as your... Your uh, priorities, I guess.
3: But, yeah, they're a great great opportunity for a bit of creativity. And and that part of the construction is a fairly small scale. It's not really um, structurally massively significant. You can pretty much play and have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as I say, if you're capable of getting that far, then you'll definitely come up with a solution for that. Um, And it's almost the kind of thing that you can literally not having ever done one before just play with it. and if you don't like what you've done you can disassemble it and try something else yeah
0: i like the idea of it being another reciprocal roof on top with a hole in the
3: middle yeah
0: so you, then you make another reciprocal roof yes on
3: top. yes <laughs> i'm i'm trying to convince as many people to try this as possible and i haven't yet got around to it and everyone that comes on a course i'm like i i come up with that and i say Maybe one of you will try it. I would love to see like a sort of uh, pagoda, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How many roundhouses can we get on top of the roundhouse to cover up the subsequent (laughs) holes? Yeah, be amazing. Please, someone do this. (laughs) Yeah, don't wait for me to do it. I will get around to it one day. Someone do it.
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom.
0: Oh, thanks, Adrian. I'm not going to really say too much here. Uh, there are links in the show notes to uh, Tony Wrench, particularly some articles about the planning application process and the uh, the demolition of the roundhouse, a link to the build camp whole woods and some other little bits and pieces. If you are heading straight on to the next podcast, then you can hear about roofs on roundhouses, walls and floors, as well as some good Building advice. If you're leaving us here, then I do hope you come back and listen soon. Otherwise, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,